0: Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support.
1: We need to stand up and say enough. We've had enough. We want energy choice. We want freedom. We want individual
0: liberty. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. What's up, what's up, what's up, Liberty Kitty Cats? Welcome back to Lions of Liberty, the flagship program here. Every Monday I'm here with you, bringing you great guests, interviews like today with Debbie Dooley, founder of the Tea Party who's actually a big proponent of... Of both clean energy and free markets, something that you don't, for some reason, always see together. Now, Republicans always seem to speak of free markets, but seem to really cringe at the idea of solar energy and that sort of thing. While Democrats really want to push their view of what clean energy is on everybody else through the force of government. So I was really excited to find someone who pretty much rejects both of those paradigms, and I want to thank member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, Thomas Baldwin, for recommending this guest, Debbie Dooley. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. We talked about so much stuff, which means you might want to check out today's show notes, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 307, this being the 307th edition of this program. And as I've mentioned for the last couple weeks, we are giving away five free signed copies of Liberty Force number one by Johnny Adams, our good friend from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. And we're going to be announcing the winners of that raffle today, but not on this program. We're going to do it a little bit later, so check out the podcast feed. Keep your eyes open, or it might already be there if you're one of the people that doesn't listen to the show the very second it drops. If you're listening later in the week, you should find it already, but we will do a raffle along with Johnny. He's going to join me to announce the winners of the Liberty Force Number 1 contest. So be sure to keep an eye on that podcast feed to see if you won, if you're one of the people who entered by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride or giving us a great review on iTunes. Both things I encourage you guys to do anyway, because they're great ways and easy ways to support the show. Today's guest is one of the founders of the Tea Party Movement. She is also the co-founder of two conservative environmental groups, the Green Tea Coalition and Conservatives for Energy Freedom. I am very pleased to welcome Miss Debbie Dooley. Debbie, are you ready to roar?
1: I sure am. Let's roll and roll. <laughs>
0: Debbie, now that was one of the that was one of the better responses I've gotten to that question, I gotta say.
1: Well good. I'm glad. I'm thrilled to be on your show.
0: And I'm thrilled to have you here. And, you know, Debbie, between your history helping to start the Tea Party movement and, and you've also taken a stand for solar energy, despite uh, some major backlash from a lot of right-wing groups, it's, it's pretty clear you have no problem going against the grain in life. So uh, when did you first start to realize that you were a, a bit of a contrarian, either when it comes to politics or maybe just life in general?
1: Well, I guess it really started when I was six years old. We lived in Bogalusa, Louisiana, and... My nanny and papa, which was my mom's mother and dad, it was my birthday, and they got me, I was quite a tomboy, and they got me a cowgirl outfit for my birthday, and I got upset, and I told them, asked them to take it back that I wanted a cowboy outfit outfit that i wasn't a sissy
0: <laughs> so you were you're were rejecting gender norms before it was the cool thing to do i guess huh
1: i was <laughs> i i was like i want a cowboy outfit
0: so did you get that cowboy outfit then
1: <laughs> i i did i got a cowboy <laughs> they went outfit. right to the
0: store and traded that thing in huh
1: well, they didn't go right to the store, but the next day I had it.
0: <laughs> well, great. And it, it seems that like that attitude has sort of carried over, uh, at least it, when it comes to, to politics. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you first got involved in politics and, and what really drove you to get very active uh, when it comes to the energy sector?
1: Well, I actually began in the political arena when I was a senior in high school in 1976. Uh, I got involved with, uh, it was Gerald Ford's presidential campaign against Jimmy Carter. And I actually supported Ronald Reagan during the primary, but I was a senior in high school. I've been active ever since. I was elected a delegate to the 1988 Republican National Convention that was held in my home state of Louisiana. It was in New Orleans. Uh, I have been a political activist for decades. I uh, actually uh, was one of the national founders of the Tea Party movement that began in 2009. But I have to tell you, as far as I was concerned and as far as a lot of folks were concerned, uh, it actually, the teapot, proverbial teapot, started boiling over under the George W. Bush administration, because he had big government programs, No Child Left Behind, the prescription drug program, and the real bat breaker for, for me and for others was the Wall Street or TARP bailout. That was something I was appalled at. I think that a lot of the CEOs should be, you know, should have went to jail because if that had been the average American and we had that much mismanagement and some of the, uh, you know, borderline illegal things they were doing, we would still be in jail. People were sitting around the United States, conservatives, like we did not have a party. And then after Barack Obama took over, then it started to be bailout after bailout after bailout, and we heard Rick Santelli's rant on the Chicago trading floor. And I made a call to FreedomWorks, and because I went, had be, began to be active with them, and I said I want to hold a tea party, and and you know the rest is history. Uh, they said, okay, there's a conference call with top conservatives on Twitter. Be on the conference call. And I was. And the rest is history.
0: So you heard that rant by Rick Santelli. It's it's become pretty famous by now. You heard him mention a tea party and, and that kind of inspired you to go directly use that term to sort of ignite that movement then, huh?
1: Yeah, I did. There were 22 of us on that call. Uh, the movement was, you know, actually began under, the, you know, the Bush administration, but we did not know what to call it. And Rick Santelli's rant, there were light bulbs that went off, you know, preferably light bulbs in the heads of 22 of us. Uh, and we were on that call, and we began to plan the first round of Tea Party, uh, the first Tea Party, which was held on February 27th of 2009. The rest is history. I mean, it, it, it began then, and in the early days, There was actual discussion about uh, whether or not we wanted to form a third party or work to reform the Republican Party, because there was as much anger at Republicans as there was at Democrats at that time. I'm
0: curious, looking back, it's been um, uh, almost 10 years, not quite, since the the founding of of that movement. and. do you see it as having had a positive impact either on the Republican Party or uh, as opposition to, to the Democratic Party when they were in power? Uh, or do you think it's lost any of its juice along the way?
1: Well, I think it af- absolutely has had a positive impact on, you know, especially Republicans, because all of a sudden, instead of talking about how much we can spend, they're talking about how much can we cut. And I think it absolutely has had a positive impact on, on both parties. I mean, we helped stop a lot of, uh, we could not stop Obamacare, but we gave it our best shot. And I mean, it, it's had impact. I think the Tea party movement actually set the stage for Donald Trump, believe it or not. And some of the things that we did or Ted Cruz and, or Rand Paul. So I think we have had a positive impact. I think the Tea Party uh, movement has evolved. I mean, we're still strong, but around 2010, a lot of the local Tea Party groups began actually focusing on the state and local level and not just the federal level, because we realized that if we're going to take our country back and impact it for positive that you know we needed to start at the bottom up and you know that that's what we did and you know i helped lead a movement to oppose uh public financing of sports stadiums in georgia where i actually work with uh, different folks across the political spectrum coming together to to fight all of this and they just
0: put out a, a big load of money for a stadium down there in georgia huh
1: Oh, absolutely. And I fought it. We, you know, we lost, but we still put up a good fight to let them know, hey, we don't support this. I mean, my thinking is if a billionaire wants a new sports stadium, then by God, he can pay for it with his money and not milk the taxpayers for it. The Atlanta Braves Stadium was the same thing. They moved to uh, Cobb County and built a new stadium. I oppose that as well, and a lot of Tea Party activists did as well. We, you know, we worked across the aisle with Democrats different Democrat groups. Uh, both sides came together to oppose that. Like
0: you've been mentioning here, a lot of your political involvement, uh, I mean, you are a, a Republican, but a lot of your activism involves you actually going against your party. And uh, one area that you've had to do that in a bit is uh, the energy sector. So can you just actually tell us a little bit, at first, how you became interested in you know energy policy and that sort of thing, and then what actually propelled you into action, uh, political action, when, as it relates to the energy se- sector and solar power?
1: I've always cared about about the environment because, you know, I believe in being good stewards of the world God gave us. And what really propelled me into the energy field was a very big fight with a government-created electric monopoly, Georgia Power. They were building two nuclear reactors at Plant Vogel. Uh, they received permission in 2009 to, to actually uh, bill their customers in advance. Uh, And in 2000, I would say in 2013, well 2012 timeframe, it began to, we would see news reports about the cost of a run at Georgia Power uh, with their plant Vogel. And I found out that they were making a profit Off of the cost overruns. I felt like we were rewarding, uh, you know, bad policy and irresponsibility and bad decisions. So I actually supported legislation that would actually limit the cost overruns that they were making off of their financial mismanagement at Plant Vogel. It didn't even make it out of committee because Georgia Power had so much clout. So I began to look for ways to provide competition and choice for Georgia Power and these giant electric monopolies. I came to the decision it's time to unplug monopolies that, you know, they have too much power. But I did research and I found out that solar, I mean, I loved solar. Because it's individual liberty and freedom. It's good for the environment. I care deeply about the environment. I believe man is damaging the environment. But solar to me meant individual liberty and freedom. The average private property owner, uh, you know, they can't go out and build a power plant, but they can install solar panels on their rooftop. So I began to be, you know, become a very big solar advocate. I got involved with a very big fight uh, off the bat with Georgia Power over each year, the integrated resource plan. Georgia Power and the Public Service Commission have to agree on future plans and energy mix and all that. And that's something that they had to agree on. And some of the Republican members of the Public Service Commission said, hey, you're supposed to investigate to see if it would be in the best interest of ratepayers to add more solar to the mix. They did not do that. So the commissioners began pushing for Georgia's uh, power to add more solar to their energy mix and Georgia Power and some of their allies pushed back and I supported the commissioners. Because one thing you have to understand about the electric monopoly model, the more money they spend, the more money they make. They make a profit off of the construction cost of power plants. So they don't want solar. They don't want any energy that's not expensive. They don't want their customers to have individual freedom. Because they want to keep building new power plants, expensive power plants, and keep making a profit off the construction cost. And I thought that was
0: wrong. So essentially, and I'm sure Georgia Power is not unique in this. This happens with energy monopolies in, in every state. Uh, but essentially, because they make deals with the state government or since sometimes they may, there may be state created agencies, they basically have a monopoly over the energy system and they can basically do do whatever they want and charge whatever they want. So it, it, the result of that is a completely backward system that is so opposite of the way markets are really supposed to work. I mean, so, something you said earlier is they were charging, you said they were charging ahead of time for the construction of the of these nuclear power plants so people are actually paying for power plants that don't exist yet that maybe they won't even end up existing who knows which is so totally backwards of the way that that you know markets are supposed to work and you said they're actually profiting yep. when the cost overruns i hate even using the term profit there cuz it's not it's not legitimate profit in the way that we would normally talk about things economically it's more like crony profit it's profit due to the deals that they make with the state
1: that's correct. Well, see, they were granted a lot of states, they are granted monopoly status, which means they're regulated. But a lot of times, like in Florida, I mean, come on, you know, they contribute tons and millions and millions of dollars, the monopolies do in Florida to prevent competition. They don't want to go, you know, they like solar is okay, a limited number. Uh, of solar if they own it but if you had their business model where you know you had a a customer base assigned to you by the government if you wanted lived in that service area and you wanted to use that service you had to buy it from them you could not go out and negotiate a private contract with, with anybody else Uh, Any kind of mistakes they made, like if uh, they made an error on building a new power plant when they did not really need it, they could go back and force their customers to subsidize their bad investments. And they make a guaranteed profit of 10.5% to 11%. Off of their bad investment. guaranteed.
0: No matter, no matter what, no matter what the uh, you know yes. how the final numbers actually crunch out.
1: Absolutely. So the more money they spend on building new power plants, mm-hmm. they make a profit off of the construction costs. Plus, they make a profit off of the electricity they sell, and, and I, I just find that very egregious. It's like incentivizing. Failure, and that's what the monopoly model is. Plant Vogel here in Georgia, they made it because Westinghouse went bankrupt. Georgia Power Southern Company does not even know if they're going to complete the two nuclear reactors, and they're making a guaranteed profit off of it. Anything that's bought in the rate right base, they make a guaranteed profit in West Virginia, which is coal country. I was up there about three months ago. Uh, I think it was Old Dominion or one of the electric monopolies had a coal plant that was in Ohio. It was where it was. It was selling on the free market in Ohio, selling electricity. They weren't making enough money and actually losing money off of this coal plant in a free market system. So they wanted to bring it into the rate base, the regulated market rate base in West Virginia, so they could force their customers to pay for their bad investment. And, you know, that, that is a, egregious for that to happen. And, and I mean, it, it's terrible. Of course they don't like renewables. Of course they don't like solar or any energy form that's cheap because they can't make as big of a profit off of it as they can if they go out and build a new nuclear plant or, you know, new coal or gas plant. They're they're not making the profit.
0: Sure, and I've even read uh, in certain states where if you want to have your own solar installation on your own property, you're not even allowed to do that. You can have it, but then you have to pump energy back into the grid and essentially still work within that system, even if you could otherwise be self-sufficient with solar panels.
1: You're absolutely correct. Case in point. There was an African-American church in North Carolina. They cared about the environment. They believe in being good stewards of the environment God gave, you know, God gave them and he created. So they wanted solar panels. They wanted to save on their electricity bill. They wanted solar panels. They could not agree, you know, they could not afford the upfront costs. So a nonprofit reached out to this church and they said, "Okay, we'll front Uh, The cost and the investment of putting solar panels on your rooftop on the church and for us to recoup our investment, you just agree to purchase the electricity from us so we can recoup our investment. And it was, uh, you know, it was less expensive than, you know, what they were paying Duke Energy. And so this church entered into a private agreement about solar panels on their private property. Duke Energy found out about it and said, "Nope, this is a monopoly status. Uh, We're the only ones that under North Carolina law that can sell electricity. Uh, and, And they took them to court. They sued the church and they sued the nonprofit for that. And that's the thing with a monopoly status. Essentially, if you're a private property owner, I believe you should have the right, if you want to put solar panels, if you want to bring up, you know, if you're a farmer, you want to do a wind farm or or solar farm, and you want to sell the electricity to your neighbors and enter into a private contract, I believe you should have a right to do that. But under the monopoly model, you can't do that. You you know that the monopolies believe that the power you produce on your private property belongs to them. It does not belong Yeah, And
0: this really seems like something that should be, should, if we lived in a more rational world politically, something that Democrats and Republicans should all agree on. I mean, if you're a Democrat who supports solar power and the environment and that sort of thing, you should definitely be in favor of people having as much freedom to use solar energy as possible. And if you're a Republican and supposedly value individual freedom, you should also value people setting up solar panels if they so choose and selling that energy if they so choose. And yet somehow nothing gets done on this issue. and, And these monopolies uh sort of remain in place so uh, what what can we do i guess uh, strategically or politically to to fight this system because regular human beings i think if you explain to this this system to them are, are appalled by it but i guess it's just not maybe on, on people's radar so, so much
1: well i think it, it takes issues to be on people's radar in nevada you know a lot of the casinos you know some of sheldon Adelson and some of the other casino owners were saying hey we have a lot of steam, we have big casinos, and we want to unplug from from the grid, and we want to actually generate our own electricity. Uh, After much wrangling, the the monopoly said, well, yeah, you can do that, but you've got to pay us a, a fee every year for the ability to not use our service, and it was in the millions of dollars per year not to use their service. So these monopoly owners said, okay, And what what they did is they gathered petitions, created a ballot referendum to go towards deregulation in Nevada. And uh, theirs is a two-step process. The first step was on the ballot uh, in November, and it passed by like 80-something percent of the vote. And they have to go through... And begin the process and then come up with a plan and let the voters in Nevada vote on it. Here in Georgia uh, and in Florida, I mean, it it is an uphill battle, but that doesn't mean we don't keep fighting because you never know, you know, when we'll win. And we have to keep fighting the monopolies when they have a rate increase, show up at the hearings with their public Service Commission or whoever the regulatory body is that regulates these uh, electric monopolies oppose their rate increase.
0: Well, when are people going to have time to go on Twitter and Facebook if they're busy going to hearings and actually, you know, fighting for things? <laughs>
1: well, you could you could do that. I know. But showing up at a hearings has an impact. And uh, about, I think it was in March, there was a giant monopoly, uh, Gulf Power. They're all part of Southern Company, like Georgia Power is. And they were losing money on a coal plant that was in Georgia. And they wanted to, number one, bring that coal plant into the customer base. And because so many people in Florida were using, you know, they were using solar panels or they were using energy-saving appliances, and, and you know, putting extra insulation and windows in their home. They were not selling as much electricity as they would, so they said, "Okay, we're going to add a fixed rate on everybody's electric bill." Their fixed rate was forty-five dollars a month. You had to pay before you even flip the switch on
0: for the privilege of using their service
1: (laughs) yes for the privilege of using that service in addition to any electricity that you used oh there was outcry people showed up at all the town hall meetings that they had and we defeated it we stood up to big brother monopolies and we won The voice of the people, if we speak loudly enough, we can fight and win over millions of dollars. You've got to look. I mean, these monopolies basically have cash cows or money tree. They're utility customers. I mean, where else are you going to go, you know, if you want to use electricity? So, I mean, we can win. And we've won, you know, I've won a lot of those battles and been involved in a lot of those battles and that's something that we can win is you know we need to stand up and say enough we've had enough we want energy choice we want freedom we want individual liberty And, you know, we can win. It's a process, but the process has been started in Nevada.
0: Sometimes all it takes to actually win is just to inform people and then show up. And it sounds like you've had some success doing that. And Debbie, we're going to get a little bit more into some of the current prospects for energy freedom in our political landscape right now. But first, I need to take a minute. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at WeAreLibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at WeAreLibertarians.com. Hey, everyone. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at JohnnyRocketLaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. A lot of these battles really are at the state or local level. That's where a lot of these monopolies, you know, exist. Uh, but you did support Donald Trump in the recent election, and uh, you know what can be done on the federal level. I guess when it comes to uh, promoting greater energy freedom, you know, a lot of times when we talk about the, the federal government in, in relation to energy, it's really just about where are they directing money, what are they regulating, how do we scale things back in the other way, tor- more towards free markets, and and do you see a prospect for that under the Trump administration?
1: I do. I do see a prospect for that because at a town hall last year, it's either in March or April, uh, Donald Trump was at a town hall and he was talking about corruption and he talked about the corrupting influence of these electric monopolies. So I think one of the things that would would uh, that the federal government could do is you know like give tax tax credits or tax breaks and. You know, I'm not big on subsidies. You know, I don't like the government picking winners and losers. But if you, you know, and if I had my perfect world do away with all energy subsidies, all of them, both direct, indirect, make energy that causes health issues and damage to the environment be fully responsible to pay for to clean up the damage and mitigate the damage and any health issues And let energy compete in the free market and let the market decide what energy is best. And that sounds, you know, that should be something all Republicans and libertarians and conservatives support. But I can't tell you how many times that I've been involved in fights and you actually have Republicans that are siding with monopolies to protect the monopolies from competition. And I have to remind them true conservatives champion. Free market choice, not government created. Monopolies.
0: Now, Debbie, one thing you, you kind of touched on there, and it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, for people who believe in free markets with little to no government regulation uh, when it comes to energy production. But you know, when it comes to addressing those environmental impacts, I, I think that's where a lot of people run into difficulties when they try to explain free markets and energy to other people. So you did touch on you know making holding companies responsible, but how would you actually approach addressing companies who do damage the environment without shutting down energy production altogether? Because obviously, when you're creating energy or anything there's always going to be some level of pollution it's really just about identifying the actual impacts and and how that can actually be assessed but i mean do you support the epa as a way to do that or do you see maybe free market systems for doing that through courts Uh, what's your kind of ideal when it comes to how you would address companies in in this free market that you envision in a world where we don't have when we aren't subsidizing energy all over the place
1: well, no, you know, number one, I'm not real fond of the EPA, even though it was started by a Republican Richard Nixon. Uh, I don't believe that the government should try to regulate an industry out of business. I'm not anti-coal. I'm not anti-oil, anti-gas. You know, anti-fossil fuel. I just think it should be fiscally responsible. And there has to be ways that damage is being done to the environment. You know, have a bipartisan panel. In Louisiana, that is my home state. That's where most of my family lives, even though I live in Georgia. In Louisiana, a lot of the oil companies that have drilled offshore and in the Gulf for so long, they've destroyed the marshlands in Louisiana, which is vital. Uh, The marshlands are, are vital because they act as a barrier to hurricanes coming on shore and they help to weaken hurricanes. So a bipartisan group of elected officials in South Louisiana, both Republicans and Democrats, are taking these oil and gas companies to court and saying, suing them, saying, you caused the damage to the marshlands. You pay for it, the taxpayer should not do that. I mean, in Louisiana, that's a proven example, they have data to back it up. And you know, in situations like that, it is where they should, you know, that those oil and gas companies should be responsible for the cleanup. I'm not talking about going out and say, Okay. You know, you pulling numbers out of the hat, I'm talking about numbers that can be proven.
0: Does the EPA regulatory approach actually hinder what you, what you're talking about, where companies, where you would actually sue companies, uh, go to court, and get the actual damages for the actual damage they cause, and not just an arbitrary number or an arbitrary limit to pollution or or the the approach that the EPA does take?
1: The EPA is, I mean, and they do some good because you know, but I think there's been a lot of overreach within the EPA under the Obama administration. So I don't like cigarettes at all. I don't like cigarette smoke, but come on, don't keep, don't tell me that cigarette smoking is bad for my health while you keep putting higher taxes on it and, and things like that. I, I just believe in a free market approach to it. And like with the damage, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, like in Louisiana. And a lot of times what will happen is little political shell games that I've seen happen in Congress is that EPA will come up with, say, hey, this is a regulation. Then Congress uh, will actually give these energy companies money. Oh, yeah, but don't worry about it. It won't cost you. And they'll give them tax breaks and all kinds of subsidies to help pay for that. I just think, you know, that it, we need to end. The subsidies. I mean, I'm a strong believer in that, but I believe if you're going to give subsidies to one energy form, you need to don't pick winners and losers, and just uh, you know be across the board with it. You know, in the real world, end it all. Let energy compete on a level playing field in free market. Let the market decide. And I, I'm betting that if that were the case, there'd be a lot of people going to to solar and other energy forms.
0: That sounds a lot closer to the world I, I want to live in, too, Debbie.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it is. Come on.
0: Let, let's let's do that. One more thing I did want to ask you about. Uh, you did support Donald Trump, and uh, he did recently leave the Paris Accord um, to much to the dis- dismay of many on the left and the mainstream media. And I think climate change is another difficult issue that people that advocate free markets who who don't hate the environment, even though that's often the stereotype, it's difficult for them to address. So what is your approach Approach to speaking about the climate change issue, and do you support Donald Trump leaving the Paris Accord? I mean, what sort of approaches would you advocate for for addressing that issue for people that are concerned with it?
1: Well, number one, uh, you know, I, I oppose the Paris Accord, and one of the things that I had said is, look, let's amend it. Let you know, stay in, but gut it. So you know, we would have a seat at the table. Just go through, just basically gut it, but, uh and if you can't leave, well, they couldn't, so they left. Uh, I don't like giving sovereignty of the United States over to a, a central body, just like I don't, you know, I, I just have a problem with that. I don't like funding other countries, you know, just, you know, like with all these wars we get involved in. I mean, we we go, you know, like in Afghanistan. But why do we keep rebuilding their infrastructure for the terrorists to go through and bomb it and destroy it the next week? And, you know, it's just things like that that really bother me. And as far as the environment is I believe we're damaging the environment. I I don't think, I, I think climate change, we've always had, climate has always been changing since our times. I mean, you have the flood. I mean, our climate has always been changing. And I do think man is making it worse because how can you say it's not? Look at all these people in the, you know, in the world, look at all the instances of children with asthma, and all of that but we can't do away with with fossil fuels because we're you know we kind of that's something we need now but we we could go out and encourage innovation and just you know get the government out of the way and do the same thing that happened uh when the bail system was broken up the federal judge ordered the Ma bail system to be broken up in 1984. up until that time the only people that had mobile phones were rich people that rode around in limousines and carried the big phone in a bag. It cost an arm and a leg to call long distance. Uh, the Bell system was, was broken up. Government had some regulation, but got out of the way. And look at the innovative technology we have now. We carry around many computers. So none of that would have taken place had there still been the monopoly
0: structure
1: when enterprise is forced to compete with each other for business, it's always good for the consumer.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think, do think that is going to be the key ultimately to a cleaner world. It already has been the key to a cleaner world. I mean, I know that the U.S. carbon emissions have actually been decreasing uh, you know, over the, over the last few years, and that's largely due to technology, due to cleaner technology, uh, better ways to utilize energy. My biggest concern with the, the Paris Accord and broad reaching agreements like that are really more its effect on the third world on countries that are trying to develop and the the liberal elites i guess from all around the world say well even though our society's got here through using fossil fuels and and developing new technologies you guys no 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 you you shouldn't do any of that you should just use clean energy from the get go acting as if all these things are equal as if they can just magically you know achieve the level of technology and economic development that we've achieved while using you know much more expensive and much more difficult forms of energy
1: I agree. I mean, look at the Paris Accord. That's why I said it should be gutted and amended. you know in a you know perfect world, Trump would have been able to do that, gutted an amendment, cut, you know, take the money that was going to all these other countries. and I mean, just a lot of examples like that, and just kept a seat at the table and say, No, you're not going after fossil fuel. this is what we want. this is what you know we believe in the free market approach, but that wasn't possible. One of the major issues of the Paris Accord is like China. We were telling China, oh, you just go ahead and you keep building these coal plants, but we're not going to. So it was not a level playing field. And that, you know, that was wrong. I, again, I believe if the Obama administration, during the eight years of the Obama administration, if he had... Uh, focused on, you know, let's remove these regulatory barriers that prohibit clean energy renewables and any energy form from competing on a free market, we would have gotten much further than what we are now with all the excessive regulations of the EPA. And I'll be quite honest, I you know, I'm not a fan of the EPA. I think the intentions of you know, was good, but I think they've just gotten, you know, just like the Department of Education and anything else, the government gets its foothold in. It's gotten, you know, it's turned into a Frankenstein monster. One of the things we need to focus on too is that it's in the national security interest. Our power grid is so centralized that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission issued a report, I think it was two years ago, that found terrorists would have to take down... Nine of the key substations out of more than 54,000, it would cause a devastating blackout from coast to coast that would take months to recover from. There has already been an attack, and many people think it was a probing attack on our power grid. In April of 2013, terrorists cut the phone lines to the substation that powers Silicon Valley. Then they opened fire on the substation and all the transformer and transformer lines with AK-47s took the substation down and just disappeared before law enforcement even got there. That seems
0: like a really big story. Why have I not heard about this before?
1: Because it's panic. I mean, you haven't heard about it. They don't want to set in. They're keeping facts from us. Even uh, the blaze, Glenn Beck's show, the blaze. Uh, The website even ran a story on it. He put a diagram in. Because it was not one of the major key substations, they could quickly reroute power, but it took like six to eight weeks to bring that substation back online. Well, what if they were able to identify the nine key substations or what if they just uh, attack, you know, had terrorists all over the United States go out and attack transformers. It would cause a domino effect because the grid is so centralized. Well, it'll be, it would be a lot more difficult for terrorists to cause, uh, you know, a devastating impact by attacking our power structure if uh, instead of attacking some substations in our centralized power grid to go out and try to bring down millions and millions of rooftop solar. There's a reason that stores like Walmart and the military are moving to renewables. It's because we don't wanna be dependent on foreign oil and also because of national security implications. Saudi Arabia, I don't know if you read about what they did. They're investing tens of millions of dollars uh, it's close to 100 million, I believe, in solar in Saudi Arabia. And you want to know why? It's because they want their citizens to get electricity from solar panels so they can sell their oil, export their oil and make money from it instead of using it within their country. Everywhere
0: you look, there's cronyism. Even when a country is doing a, a seemingly wonderful thing by bringing in solar power, there, there's always got to be a, a nasty motive hidden underneath. But you know, Debbie, it's been a really a blast talking to you. And I'm so glad that there is somebody like you out there who is a vocal proponent of both free markets and clean energy, because often for whatever reason in our current political par- paradigm, you're not supposed to support both. You're supposed to be on one side or the other. You're supposed to be a Republican who loves free markets, but really, really, really likes coal and other th- dirty, you know, dirty forms of energy. Or you're supposed to be a Democrat who hates free markets and just loves clean energy. So it's wonderful to have a, a conversation with a, a rational person who can actually have both those positions and, and hold them both highly.
1: Well, I really enjoyed it. It's an honor that you asked me to be on your show. And I look forward to listening to the podcast and we can keep fighting the good fight. We have truth on our side. We have right on our side and we're going to keep fighting. And thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you, Debbie. Before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody out there know how they can uh, find the work you're doing and how they can get in touch with you?
1: Well, you can email me at Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E at Energy. FreedomUSA.org. That's Debbie at Energy FreedomUSA.org. We have Green Tea Coalition has a Facebook page, and Conservatives for Energy Freedom also has a Facebook page. But if you email me, I'll send you the links to everything so you can see. Well,
0: Debbie Dooley, like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Keep up the great work.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Debbie Dooley, a very lovely, wonderful, nice woman. It was a pleasure speaking with her. Please do look into her work. It's very rare that you find people that are conservatives or libertarians or small government-minded who are also very big on promoting the environment and discussing ways that the free market can protect the environment Can provide better energy and lives for everybody without destroying the earth as we so often hear could be the only result of such policies and this is such a great tie-in to the current project that we're working on funding through DonorSea the great DonorSea app created by Greg Glyer, past guest on the show if you don't have the DonorSea app yet I don't know what you're waiting for. You don't need to be rich to help people. You don't need to have a lot of spare change, but all of you probably get a coffee once in a while. All of you probably have an extra beer or two that you don't need, an extra slice of pizza, whatever. All of you can afford to toss a buck or two to some of these great projects because that even that little amount of money does make a great difference. So if you haven't downloaded the DonorZee app, Go to your app store on whatever device you use, download that thing, or go to DonorSee.com and sign up. It takes hardly any time. It's so easy and such a great way to fund projects around the world that really do improve the lives of people. And the one we're working on right now is a project in Haiti, which listeners of this program will know was Basically destroyed by the Clintons after their earthquake. Obviously, the earthquake caused a lot of damage, but the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation, they caused a lot more damage in Haiti. You can hear more about that in my interview with Chuck Dixon, comic book writer Chuck Dixon, who did the graphic novel of Clinton Cash, which talks all about that stuff. But not to digress too much, I'll, of course, post a link to that in the show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash Three oh seven, But the project we're looking at now in Haiti is a recycling project, basically, because there are plastic bottles all over Haiti, and what they're doing here is building a team to collect all this plastic, get it out of the environment, make sure it's not causing harm, but not only that, they're going to then use plastic bottles to build a house out of all these bottles. So not only are they going to clean things up, but they're actually going to build a structure that the team can use as a retreat and as their home base for all their recycling activities. So it's not just merely a recycling, Cycling and cleanup project that helps the environment, but it's also gonna go to productive use. Really, it's a wonderful libertarian project. Again, I call this stuff libertarian because it's all voluntarily, it's all done without the aid of government or NGOs. It's all just people helping people. The way that we as libertarians or people that are liberty-minded try to get things done, try to have things done without using the coercion of government and donor donorcy and the great work being done by Greg Glyer along with Pride member Clint Rankin and his group Walk the Walk. If you haven't joined up with that, find Walk the Walk on Facebook or go to walkthewalktofreedom.com. That's where you'll find all the information about the various projects we're funding. As well, of course, he posts those over in the Lions of Liberty Forum, our private Facebook group, where we have a lot of great discussions. If you're not in there already, be sure to search that in your little search bar on Facebook. If you just type Lions of Liberty Forum, it should pop right up and we'll get you right in there. In the meantime, you can find this specific project by going over to donorcy.com slash project slash 1086. If you're on C, you can look me up, Mark Clare. You can find me. You can find Clint Rankin. Uh, both of us have contributed to this project already, so you will find that project right under our profiles. And of course, I'll also link to it at today's show notes, LionsofLiberty.com slash 307. Folks, don't forget, if you are a Lions of Liberty Pride member and or if you entered this contest by writing us a great iTunes review and sending it our way, we will be revealing the five winners of the signed Liberty Force number 1, signed by Johnny Rocket Adams a little bit later today in this podcast feed. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode because we are the only libertarian variety show out there. Every Monday, you've got me here on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast doing interviews and sometimes fun drinking roundtables like libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor our biggest hit every single time. Fans love it. We've got another one coming soon in a couple weeks as well as Wednesdays with Brian McWilliams where he brings you your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. And of course, we wrap things up every week with John Odermatt's Felony Friday where he looks to expose the injustices in the broken criminal justice system. It's been a blast, folks. Until next time, live long and live free.